it was uh, probably two years ago. I was out in the Cape Fear River uh, in my dad's boat, and we had anchored there a little bit off a little bit off the shore, but it's fairly deep, probably 15 feet deep out there. And you know, you anchor, you swim, you jump in the water, it's fun. But then it's time to go. So I pulled, uh, we went to pull up the anchor, and it was stuck. It's amazing that there's a scientific principle behind it with suction and mud and anchors. And there's like a magic spot where I don't care how strong you are, if this certain amount of suction gets applied to an anchor under the mud, like there's no digging it out. I mean, there's no pulling it out at least. So we pulled and pulled and pulled and we realized we had two quick, easy options. The first one was the quickest and easiest, which is just cut the rope, call it done, go home. The second one is happens to be if you have a crazy person in your boat who's willing to dive into the water and follow the rope down and find the anchor, you might be able to dig it up. Well, I happened to be aboard the boat. And so I jumped in and I did the digging and it wasn't actually that hard. Once you get down there, you just kind of scoop your hand right underneath it and it just comes up. That's when everything kind of went wrong though because I, I followed the rope down. You know, I've only got a limited amount of air capacity in my tiny little lungs and I get down there and, uh, and as I go to lift up the anchor, the, the carabiner clip that was holding it, the rope to the anchor just clipped off and off into the black water the rope goes, and here I am on the bottom of the Cape Fear River holding an anchor. And naturally, that's not a place you want to be. And so I'm standing there like, okay, well, my instinct was I'm just going to swim to the surface with this anchor. I am saving this anchor. I've jumped in the water. Nothing's going to keep me from saving this anchor. And so I swim to the surface, and just, I mean, I don't want you to picture I've got like this big Popeye the Sailor Man anchor. Like, it's not like, it's just a little, small little, you know, recreational anchor. So I swim to the surface. It's not that deep, and I'm treading water. But in the time that it took me to get to the surface, and the boat was no longer anchored, anchored to the floor, Cape Fear is a river, the boat has just drifted away. And here I am now, treading water, holding an anchor. It's not ideal. And so I'm standing there, and I'm like, or swimming there, and I'm like, hey guys, hey, hey. This is one of those times in my life when people were laughing at me when they should have been trying to save my life. Um, <laughs> And my family's like, <laughs> and I'm like, I've got an anchor. And they're like, why? They assumed naturally that I, it had been lost. Well, man, I, you know, I could have dropped the anchor at any time, swam back to the boat. But I'm like, I'm saving this anchor. The story doesn't get much more interesting after that. They basically moved back. They got the anchor rope to me. They threw me a rope, and I was, I was safe. Now, I'm glad to report that not only did I survive, but the anchor was recovered, and the mission was a success. The reason I tell that story is because I think that it's a picture of life sometimes. I think a lot of times life feels like, there's moments where you feel like I'm treading water in a river holding an anchor and I wish somebody would just throw me a rope. Are you following me? I, it's, 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 it might be just the daily grind. You know, it's one of those days where you get home, you're exhausted, work was crazy or terrible or something bad happened. You're just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of this. Or, or maybe it's, it's a specific moment. It's a moment when you found out, you know, that uh, your, your child was very sick and there's nothing you can do about it. Or you have cancer, you know. What, what do I do? Or, or you found out you lost a loved one. Or any number of things. There's a bill that's going to come up that you just can't pay for. And you're just kind of treading water with this anchor, this weight that you've just been handed. And at the moment, you're like, it's up to me. I've just got to deal with this. Will someone please throw me a rope? And so today we're beginning a, a seven-week journey. It's a series, uh, Moses, a God Chaser story. But really, it's focused on a people group whose whole existence was like that anchor moment, the nation of Israel. There were these people who were stuck, and they were calling out to God for help. Throw me a rope. 
Throw me a rope, throw me a rope. Uh, Moses is someone that we would call a God chaser. I, we say God chaser a lot. As a church, we have kind of a threefold goal that we want to be uh, God chasing, grace shaped love agents. That's our job. That's our goal. That's like a summary of what Jesus says were the, the greatest commandments. Um, but I want to kind of give you a definition to chew on for the word God chaser. This is what a God chaser is. A God chaser is just, it's what you call someone who is fully devoted to bringing glory to God with your life. That's a God chaser. Someone who is fully devoted to bringing glory to God with their life. I don't know if that's a goal of yours this morning, but I hope, I hope that it can be, and I hope that it will be, and that I hope for many of us that it is, and that by looking at the story of the life of Moses over the next several weeks, we can kind of glean some things from his life and learn how to grow and chase God better, become fully devoted to bringing God glory with our lives. Uh, we're going to be reading this whole story basically takes place in the book of Exodus, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. I'm excited that in this venue that we're in now, we've been able to get some lights that we can actually turn up a little bit and you can read your Bibles. Not to mention that these don't turn off, so that's fun too. But grab your Bible. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1 this morning, kind of skipping around. The story of Moses is big and it's long and we actually kind of, we have snapshots of Moses' life all the way from kind of the day he was born until the day he died. And so of all the characters in the Bible, we have some of the most complete uh, picture of his life. God specializes in taking normal, everyday people, picking them up from their brokenness, and giving them purpose. It's, it's the reason that any of us find purpose to come to church and be involved in Christianity. If that's something that, that you're doing with your life, you're like, it's because God has showed me a better way. And I'm convinced that God has a plan not only to throw you a rope, but to give you purpose daily. And so I want to look at the life of Moses and see how we can be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Um, we're going to be talking about Moses. Keep your finger right there in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to get to that in just a second. But you really can't tell Moses' story without a little bit of background. Uh, Moses' story actually begins much earlier than when he was born. Uh, you can trace Moses' story back six generations. Six generations because Moses' is great, 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 six generations grandfather was a guy named Abraham. Now, uh, there's a lot that you can learn about Abraham, but basically all of Jewish and even Christian faith traces all of our history back to a promise that God made this guy Abraham. So we're not gonna study Abraham right now, but I wanna read this promise to you just to remind you, or maybe here for the first time. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to flip there. In Genesis chapter 12, verse two, God speaks to Abraham and he says this to him. Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse, and this is this last sentence is key. It's actually the key to the rest of the Bible. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And actually, the whole rest of the Bible is the story of how God fulfills that promise, so if you're ever asked, like, what is the Bible? I mean, one good answer is, well, it is God's plan for fulfilling this promise to Abraham. And it culminates in Jesus. Jesus ultimately is the answer, so spoiler on that one. But Jesus is ultimately where uh, that promise goes. By the time Moses is born, it has been 600 years since God spoke to Abraham. And that family tree that God promised to bless him with has grown from just Abraham and his wife to now an estimated over one million People. Uh, these people are called the Jews. They're also called the Israelites. And the Egyptians called them Hebrews. And so they're all interchangeable terms there. So in Exodus chapter 1, what we're going to see is a picture of what Moses' people 
we're living in. So now, if you're in Exodus chapter 1, we're going to just scroll down there to verse 9, and we're going to see kind of the state that Moses' people were in. There was a time when Moses' people were very, like, prominent and wealthy. Those times are gone. And now the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. Verse 9, he says, this is, uh, this is the king, the pharaoh of Egypt talking. He says, look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they, the Egyptians, so the Egyptians put slave masters over them, the Jews or the Hebrews, to oppress them with forced labor And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Speaking of being stuck, uh, next time that you're having a bad day, just ask yourself, is my whole nation in slavery? Because <laughs> these people had it bad. These people had it really, really bad. And this is the world that Moses was born into. He was a Jew who, though, had had, though their family had had a prominent time in Egypt, was now an underclass citizen, and they were being ruthlessly treated by the Egyptian as slaves. So we're going to be studying uh, Moses' life for seven weeks. But today what I want to do is just take the time we have left to... Get a picture of what I'm just going to call the roller coaster of Moses' life. It, it really is a, molar co- a roller coaster. Um, I don't know uh, about you. I love roller coasters. I really love them. I love that uh, the rush. I love the feel of being like dropped off of an edge. I love the. Some people are like, I hate it. I love the upside down loops. I love it all. I, my wife will not get on a roller coaster with me, which is why we had children, so that eventually I can ride roller coasters with somebody. Right? Like I just love roller coasters. One of the craziest part of a roller coaster is that anxious start. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting in the little train car and you hear this. Click, 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 and it like builds and it builds and it builds. You're like, come on already! And if they're really good, they do that little pause right inside, like click, 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 click. And then it drops, right? Life can be a lot like a roller coaster. Unexpected drops and turns, things you can't expect. And you know, I don't even have to go into the metaphor of a roller coaster for you. You'd be like, yup. <laughs> I mean, Moses, though, if anybody understands this, uh, it, it's Moses. At, at the time when Moses was born, not only were his parents slaves, but another thing was happening. The Pharaoh, because the Jewish nation was getting so big and so um, powerful because of their numbers, he decided he wanted to weaken the Jewish you know, nationality. And so he made a law. He said, any boy that is born to a Hebrew woman has to be put to death. And so anytime a baby boy was born, the, the rule was if you were the midwife who helped deliver that baby, you had to kill that baby. Um, you know, there was a huge crisis for midwives at that time. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know if I really want to do this job anymore. This is a bad situation. Before Moses was even born, there was a death warrant for him issued already. His click, 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 click was already looking bad. But I love Moses' mom in this story because she was like, um, no, that's crazy. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't know where she had her baby. I don't know if she like just didn't use the midwife. I don't know if the midwife just broke the law. I don't know how they pulled it off. But when Moses was born, she's like, I'm going to hide him. So you can read in Exodus chapter 2, just the first few verses, that she kept him hidden for three months. 
And then apparently after three months, if you've had children, you're like, yeah, about three months, you can't hide him anymore. I've tried. <laughs> it's not possible. Like for whatever reason, after three months, she couldn't hide him anymore. And so she takes this huge risk. And listen to what, you might know this story, but take this in because this is not fable stuff. This is something that really happened. She decides to build a little boat out of a basket and put her baby, her three-month-old little baby, in a basket in the Nile River, one of the biggest rivers in the world, and just set him to float and just hope for the best. Can you imagine that being your best option? Like, I've really thought through this for three months. I've been thinking through this, and the best option I can come up with is just, it's, it's my baby versus the crocodiles. Like, let's just see, let's just hope he makes it. But that's what she's forced to do, and so she puts him in the basket. And the story says, that's what the story says, and, uh, you know, I can't imagine as a parent having to do that. Click, 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 Moses' life begins. And like if you, had to, if you read this intro part of the story, how would you imagine the next chapter would go? You know, and then Moses uh, got stuck on a sandbar and some birds came and, you know, pecked at the basket and, you know, like, I don't know, like it could be pretty bad. But Moses' story, story is about to take a huge change, uh, and that's why it's really a roller coaster. Someone found the basket, and it happened to be a very prosperous person. Actually, the daughter of the Pharaoh. In Disney language, that means she was a princess, <laughs> okay? And she's out taking a bath in the river, you know, like you do, apparently. And she's out there, and she's like, I hear a baby. And she sends some people over to look at the basket, and it's Moses. And she does what any good person would do. She takes the baby in. Did you ever find a puppy as a kid? Can I keep it? Like, she's like, I'm a princess. I do whatever I want. So she keeps Moses, and she raises him, it says, like her own son. Click, 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 click. And suddenly it's like, Wait! Do you throw your hands up? I mean, I do. It's like, yeah. And like, suddenly, the first chapters of Moses' life are great. He grows up in, in prosperity. He grows up with money. He's not starving. It says that she knew he was a Hebrew. And so it was probably obvious just looking at him. You know, when you come from a different nationality, you look different. And so, but regardless of that, regardless of the fact that he was a Hebrew, Pharaoh's daughter raised Moses. That's really cool. Now, I wish we had lots of stories from Moses' childhood, but like I said, this is just going to be kind of a, a quick look through the, through the whirlwind roller coaster ride that Moses takes. We don't have a lot of stories. We don't have any stories about his childhood, about his young adulthood. We actually pick up with him in chapter 3, and he's kind of in his 40s right here. He's grown. He's going through a lot of life. You know, so a lot of you are in your 40s. Just think about all the life you've lived. Moses has had those roller coasters. I'm sure he had his first date, and he dealt with pimples and all that whatever else, and had to get his first job. I don't know what happens when you're the Pharaoh's, like, adopted Hebrew son. I don't know what you go through. Um, but what he's about to find out is, is, is a lesson that I think a lot of us learn um, either vicariously through someone else or unfortunately on our own. This is, this is the lesson that Moses is about to learn is that your life can quickly and dramatically change with one bad decision. Isn't that true? I mean, how many marriages have ended over one bad decision? How many jobs have been lost over one bad decision? How many lives have been lost over one bad decision? Moses is about to learn this. So we're going to fast forward. We're in Exodus chapter 3 now. In verse 11, let's read along. Exodus 3, 11, it says this. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them, his own people. So at this point, you know, it's obvious, I guess, he's aware that he's a Hebrew and he's out watching the other Hebrew slaves work. He watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Listen to verse 12. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
everything was going fine for Moses until he killed a dude. And suddenly everything changed. It was a game changer. And maybe Moses had like good intentions. Maybe he was looking out for the Hebrew slave who was being beat. I mean, I think there's a lot that could be said there. But that's not how anyone else took it. Immediately, the word spreads that Moses has killed somebody. Now, I don't know about you. I've never killed anybody. If you have, I turn yourself in. Like, it's not good to keep it secret. But I know that I have done some things that I knew were wrong, and I tried to hide them under the sand. This sentence, it says... He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed an Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. I've done that. I've had sin in my life that I knew was wrong, and I just kind of, eh, is anybody going to know? And I do it anyway, and I hid it. And maybe you have too, and this is where Moses was. When word gets out that he has killed somebody, which, just like it is here, it was illegal in Egypt too. It says this, that when the Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. So the Pharaoh, the most powerful dude in the land, has now, he's got, a, he's got a mark on Moses. And so what does Moses do? He runs away. It says, he ran from Pharaoh and he went to Midian, where he sat by a well. Which is, I guess, kind of what you do when you don't know what else to do. <laughs> just go, Midian was far away. Just run and hide. It ends up being a period of exile uh, for Moses. Just as quickly as his life had been saved by Pharaoh's daughter, with one quick, nice decision by her, Everything changed when he made that decision, and the roller coaster just shoosh, takes a big scary turn, and he's lost everything. He's a murderer, he's homeless, he's hopeless. It's a roller coaster, and he's stuck. Somebody throw this guy a rope. I've been stuck like this. I've been stuck in sin. I've been stuck in bad decisions. I've been stuck sometimes when it was out of my control. And I've tried lots of different ways to make it right. Um, sometimes... I just decide to sit by the well for a little while, you know? Like, I just got to go be. Maybe it'll just go away. Sometimes I've looked for advice. Sometimes I've gone to bad habits and to addictions. What do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you know that something has gone wrong and you're in a running phase? Who do you turn to? Who do you ask? Is there a happy feeling and memory that you go to? Is there a book that you read? Are there bad, destructive habits that you go to? Are there good, helpful things? Honestly, guys, I think that's one thing that brings us here this morning. Like, I hope that when you come to church, what you can do is be at a place where you can bring glory to God with other people. Like, I hope you're able to worship. I hope you're able to learn from his word. I hope you're able to fellowship. But let's be honest. A lot of times we come to church and stuff like this because we just need to go somewhere. (laughs) We just need to go somewhere and get something good in our lives. And I want you to know that's okay, too. Where do you run? Where do you go? Moses ran to Midian. He hid uh, from this dark thing he had done. In fact, um, he ended up spending the next 40 years in Midian. Remember I said he was already about 40. He spends the next 40 years in Midian. 40 years. He takes a job as a shepherd. He eventually gets married. He settles down there. 40 years goes by. 40 years of being a shepherd. 40 years of waking up early and finding the sheep. 40 years of of working hard in the land. 40 years. And I don't know how much he thought about his past life. I don't know if he remembered with fondness what it was like living in luxury. I don't know if he he thought about killing the guy. I'm sure he did. I mean, that's probably a hard thing to let go from your mind. But after 40 years... Some of you guys that have been out of like high school or college for a while, you know how that part of your life kind of seems like a blurry memory? <laughs> You're like, I, I guess there was a time when I lived in a different place and did a different thing. After 40 years, I imagine that Moses has gotten to a place where he's just kind of kind of blended in. This is the new life for him. This is the new normal. This is what he settled into. 
This is where we actually get to Moses' next big turn. When I'm in my 80s, I want to be honest with you, I hope that the train is starting to come to a stop at the station. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want any more surprises. I don't want any more big plans in my life. Like, I'm like, look, by the time I'm in my 80s, I hope that I can be like, all right, Lord, I've done everything I can do. I'm ready to settle in now. Moses has the biggest chapter of his life still ahead of him. And we're not going to get into all of it. We're going to kind of set it up this morning, and I'm going to kind of pause that story and pick it up next week. But I want you to show you where this roller coaster goes. And so here we go. Um, here we go. Click, 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 click again. You would think he's coming to a stop. This is going to be in Exodus chapter 3, uh, and starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to a far side of the wilderness called Horeb, the Mount of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. That's crucial. Like, when you light a bush on fire, it's going to look different. And this is some sort of miracles happening here. Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. He knows what a fire is supposed to look like. So Moses thought... I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I love how nonchalant the story's told, like, eh, bush is on fire, angel of God's there. I think I'll go check things out. I'm thinking he's more like, what? Like scared and tripping all over the place like I just did. He's trying to get over there. And what's happening here is click, 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 click. Something's about to happen in verse 4. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, present, because that's what you do when a bush talks to you. He's like, uh, click, click, click. Moses begins to hear the audible voice of God, which, man, sometimes I think we wish we could do that. I'm not sure that we would be as cool with it as we think we would. It's a powerful thing. Verse 6 says, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Remember, the Jews are still slaves and they're still being horribly mistreated. And as you read on, you realize it's gotten worse. It's gotten much worse. He says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He talks a little more about the plight of the Jews and how bad it is for them. And then he gets to the point with Moses. Okay, in verse 10, this is where he says, He says, So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Talk about a roller coaster. Like, um, for the past 40 years, the most exciting thing that's happened to Moses is when like, his wife made his favorite sheep meatloaf, you know, maybe he got some new sandals. And suddenly he is in the presence of God. He is terrified. It says, if you read all of it, he's, he's taken his shoes off. He is completely humbled because he recognizes. Guys, you got to understand something. When you come into the presence of God, you know what it is. You might meet a crazy person on the street corner that says that they are God, and you're like, I'm not sure you even, you know, if your elevator goes to the top floor or not. Like, I'm not sure. But when you come into the presence of God, there's no mistaking it. He is the ground. But in the midst of all his humility, God drops a bomb on Moses and says, I got a plan for you. I want you to go into Egypt, and I want you to rescue the Israelites from slavery. Can you imagine that task? 
how does one go about liberating an entire people group from slavery? Where do you begin? Is there like a form you fill out downtown? Like, where do you begin that process? And so Moses is just like, I've got some objections. And that's what this next section is. He's got some objections. Um, The first one is that he feels really unworthy. In verse 11, so this is Exodus 3, verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and I bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And in a little while, God's going to really show Moses his power. And we're going to see that actually next week. But Moses has an objection. He's like, look, I'm nobody. I'm just a shepherd from the middle of Midian. I, did you remember? I'm like actually wanted for murder in that town. So you want me to go to Pharaoh, turn myself in, and then be like, hey, by the way, you should all just get rid of your millions of slaves. You should just do that. I'm not worthy. Then Moses has a second objection. We see it in verse 13. Moses says to God, okay, well, suppose I go. Suppose I do. He hasn't like committed to this yet. <laughs> suppose I go and the Israelites, and I say to the Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, oh yeah? Well, what is his name? I don't think that's a fair question anyway because I just don't know that that's the first thing I would ask. But that's, Moses is just like, you know when you're scrambling, you're trying to think of like reasons not to do something. He's like, what if they want to know your name? Like God doesn't know his own name. Well, okay, write it on a sticker. Hello, my name is... Then what shall I tell them? And I love God's response. I could talk about this for probably a whole hour uh, or more, but I'm just going to read you what he says. God says to Moses, I am who I am. I love that answer. I don't know your explanation, but he goes on. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. There's a whole history there. So you tell me, you tell them, I'm the same God that spoke to Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. I'm that same God. You can tell them that my name is I am. He says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from, you shall call me from generation to generation. You can tell them I am sent you. And you might think that's kind of a weird name, but man, it's, it's, it's the perfect name for God. First of all, because it's what he says his name is, and so I'm not going to argue with that part. But it's the perfect name for God because he says, I am. Like, I exist, and nothing that is in existence is possible without my existence. I am first. I am foremost. Not only am I, I was, and I will be. When Jesus talks about it in the book of Revelation, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I'm everything. And I'm everywhere, and I am supreme above. You want to tell them, you want to tell them who sent you? Tell them, I am sent you. The Bible says that God is for us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? He's the great I am. We spent the last seven weeks talking about seven times in the New Testament when Jesus says, I am. Remember that? I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. He says all these things. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. That's his name. Of course he would say that. You probably got one of those blue stickers. Hello, my name is? I am. And I'm here for you. And this moment with Moses, man, it, like it's red hot, it's boiling. There's so much that we could talk about, but we're actually going to pause it, okay? We're going to pause the story because it goes on and on and on and goes on for many, many more chapters, and you don't want to sit and listen to that right now. What I want to do is I want to take the, the, the focus out of the ancient text, and I want to put it in the modern setting. Because it's really easy for us to read these old stories and think, eh, that happened a long time ago. It's like Lord of the Rings to me, you know? There's just dragons and witches and Gollum, and it's not real. But man, this is real. 
This is real stuff. And the God who was God then is still the God who is God now, and he hasn't changed in what he was capable of then. He is capable of now. God is still the great I am. Uh, my kids have played soccer at the YMCA, and I love going to soccer games. One of my favorite things to watch at the soccer game is not the game itself, because let's be honest, they're normally not very good. But the thing to watch at the game is the parents, because y'all, we are crazy. <laughs> You've been to a kid's sporting event? This is what a, a dad does at a sporting event, and moms too. Man, my mother-in-law is the worst. I'm like, you are embarrassing me, and I have a high tolerance for embarrassment. Like, so we stand on the sideline, and we, what do we do? We just scream. We spend the whole hour just yelling. I love watching parents who have never played soccer a day in their life. They've never watched a soccer game. They couldn't tell a soccer ball from a volleyball, but they are coaching actively on the sideline. Like they are making up terminology. They're calling plays that don't make sense. Button hook on the left side. Jimmy, up and down, up and down. Here we go, left side. And the kid's like, what are you talking about, mom? And here's the thing. You can yell at your kid if you want to. That's fine. But don't yell at my kid. That's my job. If anybody's gonna yell insane instructions at my kid, that's for me to do, right? And so these kids are out there, and they're just like, ah, running around crazy, and, and it's funny. I want to take us to Moses' story. I want to bring it to our story. That roller coaster life that we live in, sometimes it's the up and the down, it's crazy, and, and we're stuck, and we're holding that weight, and it feels like around us is that pandemonium screaming of advice. I mean, you can find advice in literally any corner you look in. Get on Facebook, turn on the news, open a book, talk to a friend. They know everything. You know, you just see people protesting and they want to tell you how to think. And you see people politicking and they want to tell you how to spend your money. People want to tell you how to spend your time. They want to tell you what to believe. And you're standing there like this poor kid on the soccer field and you're like, okay, but I was just trying to score a goal and win the game and have fun. Like that was my goal in life. How do we know who to listen to? The thing that we learn from Moses in this moment and from this point on, because he, he was running, he was running. I don't know that he was running necessarily intentionally from God, but he was running from brokenness, from mistakes. And in this moment, he got the opportunity to learn what it means to focus in on the voice of his father. Moses ran and he hid. But God said, look, I've heard the cry of my people and I've got a plan for that. And I've got a plan for you. And the promise he's making to Moses right here is the same promise he makes to me and you today. I want to read you something from the New Testament of the Bible. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what we're told. He says, you, he's talking about people who believe in Jesus, people who are doing their best to be God chasers. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, his wonderful light. What is the thing that you've hidden under the sand, the things, the sections of your life, the thoughts, the moment? What is the thing you're running from? What is the thing that you're weighed down with? What is the thing that's out of your control? This isn't just for the person who maybe, if you're here for the very first time today and you're just seeking, like, I want you to know this is for you too, but I want to let you know, like, if you've, if you've been seeking God with your life for decades, this is still a promise for you. You are mine. I love you. And I called you out of darkness and into my light. I've got a purpose for you. God is calling for you. And he says the same thing to us that he said to them. He said, I've heard the cry of my people, and I've got a plan. And his plan was Jesus. 
We talk about him every week here. If you happen to not know much about Jesus, just stick around. Come back one more week. We'll talk about him next week. We talk about him every week. But God's plan to rescue all of us goes all the way back to that problem, promise that he made to Abraham. All people will be blessed through you. And Jesus came as the light to the world to call us. And here's the thing. One, he will rescue you from the brokenness. He will restore you. He will give you what you need to get through. He will forgive you. That song we sang, Forgiven, man, that's become a powerful song for me over the last few weeks. Just the words that we just, the one right before the sermon. It's a powerful song. That even though you're guilty, I'll give you an option for forgiveness. But that's not all. Then he gives us purpose. So while we're like bowing down, like, okay, God, you got it. You're God. I get it. He goes, no, but you don't have to stay down there. Go. Go. Just like he sent Moses, he's sending us. Because he wants us to tell the world who he is. Tell them that I am. You know, like Moses, we've got, um, <laughs> we've got uh, objections, you know. I, I don't want to, man. I'm scared. It's hard. What if they ask questions I don't have the answer to? Well, I'm, not, I'm not fixed myself yet. Blah, 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 blah. Believe me, the list goes on and on because I've written it down myself. But when we ask these questions, the, he says, a simple answer is this. You just tell them that I am is calling. We need to be reminded when we say, who's going to make sure that good triumphs over evil one day? God says, I am. We say, well, the world's full of evil people. Who's going who's to settle all that? God says, I am. He says, man, well, what, what if my family falls apart? What if things don't go? What, how are we going to be taken care of? He says, I am. Is there any truth out there? Is there anything we can, you know, really build our lives on? God says, I am. Who's smart enough to figure this crazy life out for me? I am. And you say, I'm so alone. I don't have anybody with me. Who can be with me? And God says, I am. No one's listening to me. God says, I am. I hear you crying. I am. I'm going under. Somebody help me. I am. Life is a roller coaster. And I'm stuck and I don't know what to do, will someone please throw me a rope? He says, I am. As we learn to chase God, we start to realize it's not about me. It's about him. It's not about what I can do. It's about what he's already done and he's given us access to. Family, let's rest in the great I am. Let's pray. God, you're good, and thank you for your promise. Thank you that it lasts, and thank you that it endures, and thank you that it's strong. Thank you for the words you gave to Moses to let him know that you were going to provide for him. I can't wait to get into next week as we see how you're going to do that exactly, because I think sometimes that's where we get stuck. Uh, We're like, all right, I know I'm supposed to trust God, but yeah, when's he going to show up? What's going to happen? What's it going to look like? Um, Lord, I pray for that for all of us right now in this room, that we can see that, that we can see those clear moments when you move. I pray for our church family as we just try to be called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you for that. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.